Oakhurst. longer for Johanna to walk to read that reading than to do the reading. As we stand, let's pray. Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that we'd be aware of your presence with us now. Pray that you would uh, bring to life these words that have been prepared. Uh, Prepare our hearts to receive them. Pray that you would uh, gift each of us with the fullness of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to take a seat. In June 2007, a friend of mine was diagnosed with cancer. You might have heard of him, you might have recognized him. His name was uh, Rob Frost. He was a Methodist uh, national evangelist, Uh, somebody who'd been in the head of the Methodist church for many, many years. Uh, He'd uh, organized Christian musicals and festivals, uh, an Easter people annual conference that many uh, thousands visited. Uh, He facilitated what were called Share Jesus teams, early evangelistic teams, and many church planting initiatives. When I was in my early 20s, I was part of his uh, organization. He was very much a mentor to me. And uh, my first steps in sort of Christian discipleship and Christian experience were usually as part of his uh, initiatives. As I got older and he uh, became older, he uh, became more and more of a mentor to me. Uh, Rob's uh, cancer progressed very, very quickly. And he died just five months later in November 2007. I was in the Philippines uh, at the time. And the last time I'd seen him was just uh, two years earlier. Uh, Then he was in his uh, early 50s, and he was uh, in a very reflective mood. He was considering the next 10 years of his sort of paid ministry, from 55 to 65, uh, the final lap, if you like. He was soon to disband much of his work and uh, focus on just a few small uh, key areas. His work, his ministry had been very uh, successful, but he wanted to uh, focus it. In the months between uh, being diagnosed with cancer and dying, he uh, kept a journal. And as part of that, he wrote a letter, a letter to church leaders, uh, to many of his friends and colleagues and others like me, who had mentored. And in that letter, he talks about Pentecost. And he talks about some of uh, the key insights he's learned throughout his years in ministry. As he approaches uh, the final lap of the final lap, his thinking is distilled down into what's really important. He writes this about Pentecost. When the Spirit first came at Pentecost, he did two things. First, he empowered the very ordinary, scared, and hesitant followers of Jesus with the fullness of God's Spirit. It was intensely personal, life-transforming, and enabling. The Spirit turned them around, 
gave them gifts for service and a personal experience of intimacy with God, which showed them that what they believed was true. We need some more of that for sure. Before he ascended, Jesus said this, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. That was the need of the church in those first centuries. It's the need of the church today. There's a need for the power of God in our midst. There's a need for us to receive the fullness of God's Spirit and to see our lives transformed and our Christian ministries enabled. There's a need for skills, for talents, for gifts, for training, for resources, for money, for vision, for strategy. And churches like St. Giles are good at those things. We have many professionals among us, many gifted people, many resourceful people, many trained people, people who are good at vision and good at strategy. But these things can only take us so far. There's a need for the power of God. There's a need to experience the love of God in the depth of our hearts. Churches are good at talking. But Jesus didn't say you'll receive talk when the Spirit comes upon you. Churches are good at meetings, but Jesus didn't say you'll receive meetings when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus said you'll receive power. Billy Graham said this, Everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. Everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. Now, Billy Graham, it's estimated, spoke to more people, sort of face-to-face, if you like, than anyone else who's ever lived. He held Christian rallies around the globe. Services on every continent. Millions and millions of people gathered to hear him through the course of his ministry. Some of those meetings had up to a million people just all in one place, all hearing him speak and preach. Billy Graham went to a lot of places and he met a lot of Christians. He met some of the finest leaders in the church. He met Christians from around the world. He spent all of his time with committed Christian leaders, planning evangelistic rallies. Men and women with a vision for outreach. Men and women who were longing to see their friends and family coming to faith. Church leaders who were desperate to see their communities transformed and their churches enlivened. He met with the prayers and the activists. He met with the people who were up for it. He met with the people who would organize and resource and promote and plan and recruit for his evangelistic campaigns. And he said of these activists, these leaders, these fine people, these people with vision and strategy and plans and commitment and energy, 
God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian life is not all they had expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives. I wonder, do you feel the weight of that? Does that ring true for you? If I'm honest, it does for me. He went on to say, The most desperate need of the world today is that men and women who profess Christ are filled with the Spirit. That's the verdict of Billy Graham, probably the leading evangelist of the 20th century. Be filled with the Spirit. That was the verdict of the Apostle Paul, the leading evangelist of the first century. The man who went from persecutor to pastor. The man who encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and was blinded by the glory of his presence. The man who a few days later would meet Ananias in his house, who would be prayed for, who would be filled with God's spirit and would find the scales fall from his eyes. He writes in his letter to the Ephesians, do not be drink, drunk on wine, but instead be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the things that marks St. Paul's life was a radical discontent with his Christian life. A radical discontent with his Christian life. He was constantly looking for more of God. He penned over half the New Testament. He planted churches throughout the known world. He raised up Christian leaders every place that he went. But he never settled for what he had. He was constantly seeking more of God and of his spirit. He wrote the letter to the Philippians. The letter that uh, contains that great hymn of praise to the Incarnation. Those words we're so familiar with that speak of Christ, who was in very nature God, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took the very nature of a servant. The man who wrote those words must have had a profound insight into the nature of God. He must have had a close experience of the living God. He must have spent ages reflecting upon the scriptures. He wrote those words when he was in jail. He wrote them jailed uh, between two Roman soldiers. He wrote them to the church that he had founded, that he loved. He wrote them towards the end of his life, when he was on that final lap. And he carried on in that same letter and wrote this. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of, his share, and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings. Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. The sentence of death hangs over him. And he writes to the church and he says, 
I want more of Christ. I want more of his power. I want more of his Holy Spirit. I want to know the power of his resurrection. This is Paul who had known so much of Christ. This is Paul who had been blinded by the glory of Christ. This is Paul who uh, writes of a vision where he's taken up uh, into heaven. This is Paul who's meditated on the nature of the incarnation. This is Paul in the last lap, and he's still saying, I want more of Christ, and I want more of his Holy Spirit. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I love that phrase. I love that verse. For me, that's the most uh, succinct description of the Christian life, of Christian discipleship. Pressing on to take hold of everything for which Christ took hold of us. And the good news is that there is more. The good news is there is more. Pentecost testifies that there is more. The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit that was promised, and that same promise holds out for us too. The good news is that there is no lack of resources on God's side. But there's often a lack of desire on our side. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I remember that scene from Oliver Twist. I'll read it to you from Dickens. The gruel disappeared. The boys whispered to each other and winked at Oliver. His neighbours nudged him. Child as he was, he was desperate with hunger and reckless with misery. He rose from the table and advanced to the master, basin and spoon in hand, and said somewhat alarmed at his own temerity, Please, sir, I want some more. The master was a fat, healthy man, but he turned very pale. He gazed in stupefied astonishment on the small rebel for some seconds and then clung for support to the copper. The assistants were paralysed with wonder, the boys with fear. What? said the master at length in a faint voice. Please, sir, replied Oliver, I want some more. I'm sure many of you, like me, have taught your children when we're at visitors' houses, it's not polite to ask for more. Jesus actively encouraged his disciples to seek more of God, to seek more and more and more, and not to give up until they had received. In Luke chapter 11, we have Jesus teaching his disciples the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that we'll pray uh, this morning later in our service. And then after he's uh, taught them this prayer, he teaches them about prayer. And he teaches them through a story. He tells them of a friend uh, who goes to visit another friend at midnight. 
guests have arrived at the house and he has no food uh, to give them. So he goes to his friend's house, he wakes him up and he asks him for some bread. The friend looks down from the uh, the bedroom window and looks down at his unexpected visitor and says this, because of your boldness, I will get up and give you as much as you need. And then Jesus says, those of you who are fathers, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give his Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Jesus is the exact opposite of Beadle the Master in Oliver Twist. Jesus longs to give more to those who come to him with an empty bowl, in fear and trembling and with temerity. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. So the question for us is, are we coming to him? Are we taking hold of him? Are we, in the language of John's gospel, abiding in him? Come to me, all you who are weary, says Jesus, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you'll find rest for your souls. You will receive power, said Jesus. Go back to the letter of my friend, uh, Rob Frost, uh, commenting on Pentecost. He carries on in this vein. Speaking again of that uh, great day, he says this. Secondly, he drove them out into the city square. He put them at the heart of a multi-faith and multicultural marketplace and gave them the power to speak in the language of the people. He gifted them in ways to communicate that the people could understand in a manner that made them want a slice of the action themselves. Little wonder that 3,000 new believers were added to the church that day. Pentecost was a Jewish festival, similar to our Harvest Festival. Jews from all around the known world would travel back uh, to Jerusalem, back to the temple, and they would bring gifts with them. Gifts as a sign of thanksgiving for all that they had received. They'd bring them and they would uh, present them in the temple and there would be prayers and there'd be singing and there'd be feasting and there would be celebration. As the Jewish people gather from all over the world and come back to the temple, the disciples are gathering together for prayer and they're filled with God's spirit. And they find themselves declaring the wonders of God in the marketplace. They're thrust out from their prayer meeting into the middle of all those who have gathered. The places they've come from seem quite archaic to us. Parthia and Medes and Elamites. But if you look in a map of the countries of the day, you see that they came from everywhere. They came from Asia. They came from Africa. They came from Europe, they came from Crete, they came Arabs uh, and from Gentile lands, Africans and Jews. 
Jews and converts to Judaism. They come together and God pours out his spirit on his people and they declare in languages that the people can understand the wonders of God. Peter stands up and explains what has happened. The longed-for Holy Spirit has come in their midst. He's filled his people, and they testify about Jesus. The prophecy of Jesus has been fulfilled. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Spirit brings power, and it's power to witness to the living Christ. One of the joys over these last uh, few weeks for me has been uh, to run a confirmation course and to talk with those who are being confirmed of uh, the history of their Christian lives, uh, to journey with them as we uh, discover how Christ has taken hold of them and how they've sought to take hold of all that he has for them. It's been fantastic to see how in each one, as faith has grown, so confidence in sharing that faith has grown. And their confirmation marks the point where they want to stand up and publicly affirm their faith in Christ. But what's been fascinating to hear is how that uh, testimony has taken place in their families, in their workplace, amongst their friends, and uh, amongst their colleagues how the Holy Spirit, as he has filled them, has emboldened them and has enabled them. And what, he longs to, what he did in those uh, first disciples, what he's done in those who have been confirmed, he longs to do in all of us. The Spirit's poured out on old people and young people, men and women, I read recently of the history, something of the history of the Pentecostal movement. Movement that that is now one of the most uh, diverse and energetic forms of the Christian church. Movement which has spread around the world. Movement which began just at the beginning of the 20th century. And a revival in Uzza Street, uh, America. It's now estimated that there are um, about half a billion uh, Pentecostals in the world today. A little footnote in that history is the story of the first uh, Pentecostal revival uh, in Britain. And it took place in a little uh, Anglican church in Sunderland. The vicar of the church was a man called uh, Alexander Body. He uh, lived and worked in Monkweirmouth. Uh, an area populated largely by steel workers. He was heavily involved in mission to them and in charitable works for them. Uh, But he became disillusioned with his own effectiveness and began to pray for God's Spirit to fill him and bless him. A few years after he began praying, uh, revival fell. And there's still a plaque on the uh, wall of that church which reads, When the fire fell... It burned up the debt. The church had had a big uh, building program, wasn't able to pay uh, for the work that had been done, 
and then there was a Christian uh, revival, and uh, the money was forthcoming. Alexander Boddy writes in his journal of the experience of being filled with God's Spirit, and he wrote this. It was on the 21st of September, 1892, at about 8.40 in the morning, in All All Saints Church, Monkweirmouth, that the Holy Spirit in infinite love came upon me. It was actually at the 8 o'clock communion service. The experience overwhelmed me. My voice broke and tears were in my eyes. I knew he had come. And I was filled with his grace and heavily, heavenly benediction. I knew that he had come, and I was filled with his grace and heavenly benediction. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the experience of uh, Alexander Body, which he recorded for us. An experience of uh, saints uh, throughout the ages, men and women, who have been uh, filled by your Spirit, filled with your Spirit, and their lives have been transformed and their churches have been transformed and their communities have been transformed. Lord, we uh, long for that too. We long for that to happen in our midst, in our lives, in our families, and in our church. We long to be the people you call us to be. We long to receive the fullness of all that you have for us. We want to take hold of that for which you took hold of us. So, Lord, we pray that you would cause us to ask. You cause us to seek. You cause us to knock. And we pray that we would receive, we would find, and the door would be opened to more of your spirit in our lives and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.